0: Hello, and welcome to the White's Chapel Sermon Podcast. We're so glad you've taken the time to listen to our weekly sermons. This is a quick way to enjoy or even revisit a recent message. We are continuing our deep dive study into the parable of the uh, prodigal son tonight. This is something we do every September. We uh, take a familiar scripture and we spend several weeks with it. And so this year we're taking on this well-known parable that Jesus shares in the Gospel of Luke. And we're breaking it into three sections. We're looking at three char- the three characters that make up this story. And each week, we're focusing in on a single one of those characters. And we're trying to see what Jesus was, was trying to get us to learn. Uh, and so last week, we talked about the younger son, the, the prodigal son. Remember, he goes to his father and he says, Dad, honestly, I would greatly prefer if you were just dead. Because I would love to have my inheritance right now. So, go ahead and give it to me. And he does. His dad gives him the money, and this young man runs off and he spends every single penny that he's given. He squanders it until nothing is left, and then he finds himself with this terrible job feeding pigs, wishing that he could eat what the pigs are eating. And remember, Jesus is telling this story to a group of Jewish people who did not have a very high view of pigs. So, this is bad. This is really bad. This is how bad things have gotten. And then, in this dark place at rock bottom, he makes a decision to go home. He makes a plan to apologize to his father, to confess his mistake. Uh, and he hopes that maybe, if his father is kind enough, loving enough, gracious enough, he can be his father's servant. And that was our big takeaway that we're called to be a people who confess. Of people who own our mistakes, knowing that we have a father who will always welcome us home. Because if you know this story, that's exactly what he does. When the prodigal son arrives home, his father rushes to him and he embraces him. And while he's trying to get his apology out, he's trying to say this thing that he's been rehearsing. Uh, The father is busy throwing a party. He's yelling to the servants and he's like, kill the fatted calf. Get the best robe we have. Get some rings. We're having a party tonight. We're celebrating. My son is home. And we're going to be talking about that more next week. Uh, We'll be focusing on the father next week and the middle section of of this text. Uh, But tonight, we're looking at the older son. See, while this party is getting going, Jesus switches to him. And his story is how the parable ends. So last week, we looked at the first third, and next week, we'll be looking at the middle third. But tonight, we're looking at the concluding third of this parable of the prodigal son. So if you've got your Bibles, you can pull those out. Uh, We're going to be, once again, in Luke chapter 15, verses 25 through 32. Uh, Hear the word of our Lord. Now, his elder son was in the field. And when he came and approached the house, he heard music and dancing He called one of the slaves and asked him what was going on. And he replied, your brother has come and your father has killed the fatted calf because he's got him back safe and sound. Then he became angry and he refused to go in. His father came out and began to plead with him. But he answered his father, listen, for all these years I have been working like a slave for you and I've never disobeyed your command. Yet you have never given me even a young goat so that I might celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours came back, who has devoured your property with prostitutes, you kill the fatted calf for him? Then the father said to him, son, you are always with me, and all that is mine is yours. But we had to celebrate and rejoice, because this brother of yours was dead and has come to life, he was lost and has been found. So this older brother finds out that, the, that there's a party happening in his younger brother's honor, and he is livid. He refuses to join the celebration. So his father comes out and he tries to convince him to come in, and his response is to basically start chewing his dad out. He says, you've gotta be kidding me. I've done everything right. I've checked every box. I have followed every rule. I didn't waste your money like he did. And I've never gotten a party, not even a young goat. I guess young goats are how they partied back in the day. I don't know. Not big on college campuses these days. But, uh, but he says, I've never even gotten uh, anything. I've never had a, a celebration in my honor and you killed a fatted calf for him. This is ridiculous. What were you thinking? This older brother, he's hurt, he's angry. And that's what I really want us uh, to think about. What do we do when we're in this place? What do we do with our anger? What do we do when we feel like we've been wronged? Because I think we have two choices. And the first is exactly what we see in our scripture. It's the way of the older brother. The older brother chooses to hold a grudge. He chooses unforgiveness and resentment and bitterness. He insults his father and starts slandering his brother. He says, he devoured your property with prostitutes. Well, that's not in the scripture. And he may not even know that that's true. He's just saying that. But this is how upset he is. He's so upset that rather than join in this amazing party, he's decided to alienate himself in a field and mope. And I think when we feel that someone has hurt us or we feel wronged, a lot of us have a tendency to react this way. We sink our teeth into our hurt feelings and we let it become a grudge. And here's the thing about grudges, we can carry a grudge for a disturbingly long time if we really want to. Uh, I read a story this week about a guy named Jean-Claude Juncker, probably butchering that name, but uh, he was the former prime minister of Luxembourg. And he revealed in an interview that he keeps a book with him with a list of people who have wronged him in the past. This is 100% true. One of the senior most officials in the European Union walks around with a book of names of people who have been mean to him. Uh, Juncker uh, said in an interview about it, he said, I have a little black book that I've named Le Petit Maurice, uh, where for the past 30 years, I have noted every time someone has betrayed me. He went on to say in the interview, I'm not often vengeful, but I have a very good memory. When he was serving as prime minister, this little book of his became so well known that he would tell political rivals or people who challenged him, uh, be careful, little Maurice is listening. Uh, for 30 years, he's walked around with a book full of his hurt, a book full of his anger and his resentment. And I think that's what the older brother in our parable had done too. See, him blowing up like this, this isn't meant to for us to, to see this as just um, his feelings in one moment, right? What we're seeing is really the state of his heart. He'd been building up this frustration, feeling unappreciated, feeling like he deserved to be celebrated, and finally, seeing his younger brother have a party thrown for him is just too much. It should be him. He should be the one who gets a party. He's felt like this for quite a while. And his father tries to remind him that he's still going to get his fair share. Remember, we we talked about this last week, but uh, the younger brother took his share, which would have been about one-third. Which means that the older brother still got everything else. Two-thirds of the property and the money and the resources, everything. So he hadn't really lost anything. He was still going to get everything that had been promised. And yet he's so angry because his brother is getting attention and love and mercy. And all he can think about is himself, what he deserved. And this anger and this resentment that he's been carrying, it finally bubbles up to the surface. And that's the danger of grudges. They can root themselves deep within us. And they can cloud our perspective and they can estrange us from others. I mean, think about it. It's sad. This older son could have been enjoying the party. He could have been uh, eating this fatted calf and and welcoming his long-lost brother home. He could have been participating in this powerful moment of reconciliation that was happening right there at his home. And instead... He chooses to alienate himself. He chooses to stand in a field and seethe. And I think that's what Jesus wants us to get. He wants us to see that the older brother is just as lost as the younger brother. See, I think in this parable, the younger brother represents sins of the flesh. And we see how those play out for him. Right? They don't last that long. They're temporary. They fizzle. And when they do, you're left with nothing pretty quickly. The younger brother represents sins of the flesh, but the older brother, I think he represents sins of the spirit. Things like pride and anger and entitlement. And those things are stickier, they can be lifelong challenges if we let them. Take French military leader Napoleon Bonaparte, for example. Uh, several years ago, uh, there was an early draft of his, uh, of his will that was sold at auction in Paris. Uh, it got $150,000. But when, it, when this early draft was discovered, uh, people came in from all over the world and they researched it, they studied it, and they noticed something interesting. Uh, one month before his death, a bedridden Napoleon was in exile on the island of St. Helena. And he had a scribe come in and he dictated verbally his will. And in this early draft, Napoleon has a whole section where he writes about forgiving his enemies, the English. But then he had those lines scratched out and none of them uh, appeared in the final version. One of the scratched out lines said this As a follower of Jesus, as a Christian, I forgive them. But in the final copy, In that same spot, Napoleon wrote instead, I die prematurely assassinated by the English oligarchy. (laughs) It's a little change of heart. (laughs) On his deathbed, Napoleon almost got there. He almost made the move to forgiveness. He almost went in and joined the party. But then he didn't. He scratched out forgiveness. He chose his grudge. Will we? See, Jesus tells us this story, and he wants us to see that we're the older brother. That's why this story is left on a little bit of a cliffhanger. The older brother never responds to what his father says. We don't see what he decides to do. Remember, he's out in this field, and he's seething. He's so angry, and and the father comes out, and he makes this compelling case. He says, son, you were always with me, and all that is mine is yours, but we had to celebrate. We had to, because this brother of yours was dead, and he's alive. He was lost, and now he's found, and then that's where it ends, and so we're left to wonder, does he stay outside? Does he stay in the field angry about his little brother's return? Or does he go join the party? Does his father get through to him? Does he go and embrace his little brother like his father does? Do they reconcile? I want us to imagine Jesus preaching this story, telling this wonderful, amazing, rich story to a crowd. And he gets to this point, and they're hanging on his every single word. They're wondering, what is this scorned older brother going to do? And then all of a sudden, Jesus concludes the parable. And we're left wondering. Because we're supposed to be. We're supposed to see that it's us. Jesus is calling out the crowd, the Pharisees. He's calling us out, saying that we have to make the decision for ourselves. Will we choose grudges? Will we choose the way of the older brother or will we choose to go the way of Jesus? Will we choose grace? Because grace is the way of Jesus. Throughout his entire life, Jesus always chose grace. When people questioned him and threatened him, he chose grace. When people tried to set traps for him to catch him breaking religious law, he chose grace. When he was betrayed by Judas, one of his closest friends, one of his disciples, what does Jesus do? He still washes his feet. He still invites him to come to his table. He still offers him bread and wine at the Last Supper. Even with Judas He chose grace. I saw a a quote a few weeks ago, and it has just stuck to my brain. And I have been wrestling with it and fighting with it. Uh, And this is what it says. It said, the test of Christianity isn't just how we love Jesus. It's how we love Judas. I I know some of you all are probably like me. This is going to be rattling around in your head all week. You're going to have to meditate on this. The real test of Christianity isn't just how we love Jesus. It's how we love Judas. It's loving our enemies. It's forgiveness. It's mercy. It's grace. When we're hurt, when we're wronged, we have a choice. We can stand out in a field and be angry. We can alienate ourselves from the party and from others and we can pout and throw a tantrum and say it's not fair. They don't deserve it. I deserve it. Or we can choose to offer grace. You know, grace like the kind that all of us have received. Because none of us deserve it. And for all of us, it's not fair. We chose sin. We all ran away. We all found ourselves in a pigsty. And yet God invited us home and he threw us a party and he dressed us in fine robes and gave us rings and he killed the fatted calf and said, let's celebrate. My child is home. Jesus went to a cross for each one of us and he chose grace. And so should we because when we do, it can be powerful. I saw a beautiful example uh, of the gracious way of Jesus recently. Uh, Some of you may have seen this on the news, it went pretty viral. But just last month in August, uh, they had the Little Little League World Series. And so teams from all over the United States and the world competed and and there was this one story that came out of the Southwest Regional Championship, our region, uh, and it was between the Texas East team and the team that was representing Oklahoma. So I'll, I'll let y'all enjoy this.
1: New with our show us something good. This comes to us from the Little League World Series qualifiers. This moment, very scary, when a pitcher uncorks a ball that hits a batter in the head. Now the pitcher had a real tough time with this and the hitter saw that he was struggling. And he walks over from first base and gives him a hug just to let him know, hey, that happens, I'm fine, and everything's going to be all right. Oh, my gosh. Of course, that pitcher there visibly shaken on the mound. Batter goes, walks over there, gives him a big hug, just reassures him. So special.
0: I wanted to make sure he was all right, and I wanted to make sure he knew that I was all
1: right. We felt bad for each other. I felt bad for hating him, and he felt bad for when I was crying, and he came and hugged me and made me feel better. Oh, so sweet there. The crowd gave them a standing ovation, and the announcer said this was the best thing he has seen in baseball. We see why. The two have now struck up a friendship, Jay. Yeah, Perlin beat Tulsa, and as a result, they will head to the Little League World Series in Williamsport, PA. That is the destination, the dream of all boys and girls that play Little League baseball. What a cool story.
0: Uh, I I saw another interview that they had with the batter, uh, Isaiah Jarvis, the kid with the killer mullet, and the one who got hit in the head. And this is what he said when the interviewer was from his hometown, and she said, so what made you decide to do that? You were kind of rattled. You got to first base. I want you to walk me through your thought process. And this was his response. This kid is 12 years old. And he said, I saw Caden getting emotional. So I tossed my helmet to the side. I was trying to go spread Jesus' love and do what he would do in that situation. I wanted to go comfort him and tell him that I was okay. I was making sure that he knew that I would be okay moving forward. How great is that? his response was, I wanted to do what Jesus would do because this is what Jesus would do. He wouldn't hold on to a grudge. He wouldn't keep a little book with all the names of people who had wronged him. He wouldn't change his will at the last moment and scratch out the forgiveness part. He would go to the mound, and he would hug the pitcher Because Jesus chose grace over grudges. Will we? Hallelujah. Amen. Will you pray with me? Lord, tonight we confess that there are many of us who love to hold a grudge. And we have grudges, we have frustrations and anger and resentment that we've held on to for for days or weeks or maybe for some of us, years. And we don't know how to let it go. Lord, tonight I, I pray that you would help us to release those things. To find places in our lives where we can offer forgiveness places in our lives where we can say, it's okay. I'm not gonna let this hurt anymore. I'm not gonna let this slow me down anymore. Lord, remind us that that we've been given forgiveness, that we've been given grace, that through your life and your death and your resurrection, you gave us the most powerful and beautiful gift of grace that we could have ever asked for. So, Lord, help us to live out of that. Help us to be a people of grace over grudges, a people of forgiveness, a people who release things. Lord, we love you and we thank you. We pray all of this in your son's name. Amen. Thank you for joining us. Please make sure to rate, review, and subscribe so you don't miss new releases. We'll have new podcasts coming out all the time. Be sure to check us out online at whiteschapelumc.com. Please download the WC Life app and follow us on social media to stay up to date with all things WC.